Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. In honor of Veterans Day, the following is a Bring It On archival broadcast, which originally aired on November 2nd, 2015. Please enjoy what follows. Good evening. I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, an award-winning multiple show celebrating over 10 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Liz Mitchell, and in today's broadcast, you will also hear an episode of Dark Past, Bright Future, a regular segment on this broadcast, sharing insights of Black America that you won't here on the majority of radio broadcast. We'll also offer our perspective on what's relevant in the African-American world of news and events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On. Kicking off tonight's show, Buffalo Soldiers originally were members of the U.S. 10th Cavalry Regiment of the United States Army, formed on September 21, 1866 at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. This nickname was given to the Negro Cavalry by the Native American tribes they fought. The term eventually became synonymous with all of the African-American regiments formed in 1866, 9th Cavalry Regiment, 10th Cavalry Regiment, 24th Infantry Regiment, and the 25th Infantry Regiment. Although several African-American regiments were raised during the Civil War as part of the Union Army, including the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry and many United States Colored Troops regiments, the Buffalo Soldiers were established by Congress as the first peacetime all-black regiments in the regular U.S. Army. On September the 6th, 2005, Mark Matthews, who was the oldest living Buffalo soldier, died at age 111. He was buried at Arlington National Cemetery. Mr. Thomas T.C. Costley is a retired United States Air Force Chief Master Sergeant, as well as a retired officer of the New Jersey Department of Corrections. In 1999, T.C. Costley founded the New Jersey Buffalo Soldiers Motorcycle Club and set as its mission the education of the public on the rich history of the 9th and 10th Cavalry Buffalo Soldiers. That same year, T.C. joined five other independent chapters in forming the National Association of Buffalo Soldiers Motorcycle Club. He is also a founder of the United States Black Cavalry Family. This is to partner with local communities to provide hands-on voluntary assistance to organizations supporting the needs of veterans and the welfare of families existing in or near poverty. We have invited Mr. Costley to join us to shed light on his fascinating work in maintaining the legacy of the Buffalo Soldiers. Mr. Costley? Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Fine. Welcome to Bring It On. It is so good to hear your voice. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. 
Well, I would like for you to tell our listening audience about the Buffalo Soldiers, those first early years. Uh, for those who may not know, or this may be their first time hearing the word Buffalo Soldiers. Well, the, the term Buffalo Soldiers has become very popular here in, in, in later years and profitable to, to many people. But the original Buffalo Soldiers were those blacks, many of whom served during the Civil War. Uh, and then after Congress passed uh, the law in 1866, finally uh, paying blacks to be in the military, uh, they decided to send uh, some of those blacks west. Now, the reason for that was they didn't want to send them south during Reconstruction because they feared that many of those uh, soldiers are now having weapons and lawfully in the military would uh, maybe retaliate against some of those that held them as slaves. So although they were willing to go, uh, members of Congress from the South uh, decided it would be a better idea if they sent them west. And so the, the 10th Cavalry uh, went to Fort Leavenworth, and the uh, 9th Cavalry went to New Orleans. And uh, as they went west, the story goes that Bounds saw them, gave them the name, uh, specifically the, the Cheyenne, the name Buffalo Soldier. Now, the, the term Buffalo Soldier, uh, uh, from history we learn, had many reasons uh, or many uh, uh, definitions. One, they say it was because the face of the uh, black troops, the new troops going west, and their curly hair reminded them of the, the uh, buffalo, and so the name was given Buffalo Soldiers. Others say it was be because of their fighting spirit, and then others say it was because the uh, black soldiers uh, would kill buffalo and use their hides and make coats out of them and would wear those hides uh, during the winter months to keep them warm. So we don't know the, the real meaning of why the name was given, but what we do know is that the black troops, the the Buffalo Soldiers, the Army, the 9th and 10th Cavalry, 24th and 25th Infantry, accepted that name because the 10th Cavalry uh, made the, the Buffalo uh, uh, their part of their regimental uh, 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 design. So uh, we know it was acceptable. Uh, if it was anything that they felt was demeaning, then they would have never made it a part of their uh, regimental design. Okay, for our listening audience, would you uh, repeat their motto? We can, we will is, is, the, uh, is the motto that you will see uh, everywhere displayed, including on the uh, Buffalo Soldier Monument in uh, Fort Leavenworth. Okay, we can and we will. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Costley, this is uh, William Hosea, uh, retired Marine. How are you? It's a pleasure to <laughs> simplify. <laughs> it's a pleasure speaking with a fellow retired veteran. Um, your organization, you are a veterans organization as well as a historical organization. Is that correct? You're absolutely right, sir. Uh, uh, as is uh, many of the Buffalo Soldier uh, chapters across the country, and we have many different Buffalo Soldier organizations, as you probably well know. All of them are not motorcycle 
organizations. We have the 9th and 10th Horse Cavalry who actually ride their uh, horses and maintain uh, original uh, gear and and clothing to represent the the cavalry of that of that time. Uh, I cannot speak for the National Association of Buffalo Soldiers and Troopers and Motorcycle Clubs uh, anymore because I'm not a part of that organization now. But I do know that when we uh, when I was the the national president for that organization, and still today, many of those chapters involve themselves with with uh, helping uh, veterans. Now, my organization now, the the uh, uh, Calvary uh, family, we absolutely uh, try to work with any veteran organizations, and there's so many veteran organizations in the country that need help. So we reach out right. to those as much as possible. So you said that there, there are several um, independent Buffalo Soldier uh, organizations. Is that correct? Absolutely. Are are you all um, united in in some way uh, without belonging to you know coming under one umbrella? Well, we, we're uh, uh, united in the the aspect of, of serving the community. I think okay. most of those organizations all serve the community, not necessarily just with veterans, but anyone that has a worthy cause, we certainly reach out to them and try to give back uh, as much as we can to the community. Most of us sir, that can afford to ride $30,000 motorcycles or afford to be able to take care of your uh, horse, which is very expensive just for the boarding, can certainly uh, give something back to the community. And uh, that's what we try to do. And, and there are a lot of uh, groups, the, the National Organization of Buffalo Soldiers and Troopers Motorcycle Clubs, I think they have over 100 chapters across America now. Uh, and all of those chapters uh, have a responsibility to, to help out in the community. So uh, as far as my organization now that my wife and I, I uh, co-founded, uh, we do the same thing because we ha- we made it a part of our, uh, uh, of, of our uh, mission statement to have hands-on in the community, which means there are a lot of worthy organizations out in the community that just need a little help, somebody that will come in when they have the time to help in the soup kitchens or or wherever that help is needed. And that's what we tried to do today, along with uh, helping those veterans groups. Well, Mr. Costley, uh, I was so impressed by you, my husband and I, when we met you in South Carolina. That was our first experience. Uh, with the the Buffalo Soldiers, and I came as a, uh, I was originally invited to be the guest speaker, and then I was informed that you were going to be the guest speaker, and I was so pleasantly surprised. And I would like for you, if you would please, to tell the listening audience a little bit about what I heard, and you spoke about Isaac Mays. He won the Congressional Medal of Honor on May the 11th, 1889, and you told the story about escorting him, I guess, finding his body, but I won't give it up. I'll let you tell the story, what you told uh, that audience at uh, in South Carolina. Well, uh, Isaiah Mays, yes, was one of the original uh, Buffalo soldiers who uh, received his uh, Medal of Honor or, or earned his uh, Medal of Honor for uh, for a battle that he participated in, not really a battle, it was an ambush. He was part of an escort duty that was 
uh, transporting uh, funds, about $28,000, to other forts uh, within uh, uh, Arizona for, for, for pay to the troops. And he was ambushed by about 20 uh, men from the local area. And those 12 people that were uh, escorting that money were under the command of Major Wom. It's pronounced Wom, but it's spelled like Wham, but it's pronounced Wom. So if you would look up this incident, it will be, uh, it's normally under uh, Wom. Uh, but anyhow, he he was a part of the escort that was ambushed. And when they were ambushed, everyone on that escort duty was wounded. And Isaiah Mays managed to, after being shot uh, uh, several times, managed to crawl and walk uh, as best he could for two miles to, to seek help. Uh, his actions earned him the Congressional Medal of Honor. But the sad part about the whole story is that uh, once leaving the military, uh, he became uh, much of, uh, of nothing. Uh, he worked very little in, in, in minor jobs, and finally he uh, turned up at a hospital, and he died there. Uh, unknown to anyone at the hospital or anyone in the local area there. And after his death, he was buried in a field right outside the hospital that was used for, excuse me, that was used for people that had died from tuberculosis. Isaiah Mays stayed in that area for over 100 years without anyone knowing who he was. Finally, a group realized that they had on their hands a Medal of Honor recipient that was buried in a desolate field outside of a hospital. And they began actions to have him uh, recognized uh, and to uh, have some attention drawn to the fact that we have a Medal of Honor recipient here in our area of Arizona that is not being recognized and was not buried honorably. And so members within that area there, the old guard riders, and specifically the Buffalo Soldiers of America, this is another group that is not a part of our motorcycle uh, group here. Uh, and they're under the uh, command there of uh, Chaz uh, Jackson, who lives in the local area. And they, along with the uh, old guard riders, began to pay attention to recognize his grave and to uh, uh, clean up his grave and to ensure that a stone was placed at his grave. And during all of this, they ran across an individual that was a part of the Missing in America project. Now, this is something that I hope your listeners pay very attention to. The Missing in America project is one of the most worthwhile organizations that I have ever participated in. And I'm 72 years old. I just turned 72 a couple of days ago. And I've been to a lot of places, and I've been riding bikes and participating in community affairs for over 58 years. But this Missing in America project will touch your heart. Their job, or their mission, I should say, 
is to find those veterans throughout America that are still in funeral homes that have uh, that whose ashes, whose remains have not been claimed by anyone. They identify these remains by sending them to the huge military lab that's in California. And then they ensure that all of these past veterans receive honorable burial. If any of you could have participated in the first year that they did that, and this organization is led by an individual who I love dearly. His name is Fred Salante, S-A-L-A-N-T-I. He is the founder, the heart and soul behind that organization. And his right-hand man is a guy named Roger Graves, who serves as the road captain for, for these missions that they have. Ma'am and sir, especially you, Mr. Hosea, if you could have been with us when we brought the bodies the first year of three veterans, one was Isaiah Mays, who we talked about, one was James Dunn from Vietnam, and one was Johnny Callahan from World War II. We put the cremated remains of these veterans on the back of a bike, and we traveled across country, stopping at VFWs, stopping at little towns across country. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you that there were people standing out on roads and streets and kids waving flags all the way across country. If we stopped and stayed in a town, they would have the town band come out and celebrate what we were doing for America. To see an old veteran standing by the roadside holding the flag and saying, God bless America, as we traveled across country, it gets no better than that. Your, your heart feels with pride to know that there are Americans from the smallest town in this country to the largest city of New York that respect veterans and know that veterans deserve a decent burial. And we traveled. And as we came across country, other groups would join us at each location until we got outside of Washington, D.C., when we got outside of Washington, D.C., we asked Fred, the leader, if he had an escort already planned to get us through D.C., because if any of you know the D.C. area, you cannot get through D.C. during the traffic hour. It's just impossible. One of our soldiers stepped up. He was a policeman. He called his boss, and within minutes they provided an escort to get us through D.C., and to get us where we had to be so that we could inter these people at Arlington the following morning. It was just a moving experience. And that whole thing, luckily, was documented, documented in a pictorial called Honors at Arlington. If you can get your hands on it, you should look at that book and it will make you feel so proud 
to be an American. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, repeating that story for our listening audience. It's a fascinating story, uh, Mr. Cosley. Um, I'm uh, curious to know if uh, Mr. Mays was the only Medal of Honor recipient from the Buffalo Soldiers. No, sir, he, he was not. Uh, there are so many similar stories to his. We had 23 total, 23 Buffalo Soldiers that were awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. What about some of the uh, famous battles that, that the Buffalo Soldiers uh, participated in? Well, we, we could uh, name battles. The one that would surprise most would be uh, probably uh, the uh, Buffalo Soldiers with Teddy Roosevelt uh, in, in Cuba. Yes, that's uh, correct. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even know that the Buffalo Soldiers were there. Uh, the cavalry was there, although they were without their horses, because their horses were still in Tampa, Florida, waiting to be shipped over to Cuba. So for that battle, uh, they were uh, uh, infantry for the most part. They were on on foot. But when that was done, when 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 that uh, uh, battle was completed, no one gave recognition, including Teddy Roosevelt to the Buffalo Soldiers until he was pressured to do so by other witnesses that were there and saw just what the soldiers were doing. And this is something they have fought for the whole time that that they were in existence, especially in the settlement of the West from 1866 to, to 1890. There was so much that was accomplished. If you understand what their assignment was, was to cover the Great Plains. That was everything from Texas all the way to, to California that they were covering. To understand that they were the first park rangers in this country. To understand that they even formed a bike corps, that they used the, the, the low soldiers to ride bikes. That would be a feasible thing to replace the horses because they knew overseas, many of the, the, the armed forces overseas used bicycles. And so they, so they had the, the 25th Infantry ride bikes from Fort Missoula in, 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 in uh, Montana all the way to St. Louis, 1,900 miles on well, bicycles. Well, Mr. Costley, it's, uh, it's my understanding that the Buffalo Soldiers were paid $13 a month, and that they were given the worst horses, lousy equipment, uh, paid less than the white soldiers. I don't know how much they were paid. The conditions were deplorable. Uh, they protected the white settlers moving west, protected the U.S. mail, and built roads. Because of the expansion of America, was due to the Buffalo Soldiers. Am I correct? <laughs> Much of that was, we could argue some of those points. Uh, to, to say that the Buffalo Soldiers was, were, were given uh, deplorable uh, clothing or run-down horses, uh, to be truthful with you, everybody was getting uh, that after the Civil War because the supplies that all the uh, armed forces were getting 
were those that were left over from Civil War. Okay. You understand? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe they were getting some, but so were other other units. Okay. So I can't say across the board that they were getting anything worse than the other units. But what I can say is that much of what they've done, those things that you listed, were made a part of our history. And so... Uh, yes, they protected stagecoaches. They protected the expansion of settlers going west. They were the only law enforcement there, although they could not utilize those things within the towns that they were providing the law for. Oh, my. Right. They ran the, 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 the telegraph wires. There's so much that we can say about them without even touching upon the subject of their relationship with our Native Americans. And that is a story within itself. And I, 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 I talk about this, and I, I try, as I talk with you, Liz, about this, I try to tell people everything that was done by the Buffalo soldiers wasn't righteous. There are things that were done to the, the Native Americans that were done to our soldiers. As slaves, we were put on plantations, and we helped to put the Indians on reservations. But what we can say about it is that there are no recorded instances of, of, of atrocities against the Native Americans by the black soldiers. Were we in battle over those many years? Yes, we had 177 skirmishes with Native Americans. But you also have to realize that Native Americans were fighting each other. And our job was not to kill Native Americans. Our job was to protect those that were placed on the reservations and to bring into justice any of those that were out trying to kill the white settlers. So it's a touchy area, and if if you don't know what you're talking about, you may not want to get into a deep discussion with Native Americans because to this day, to this very day, we are not respected by all Native Americans. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Mr. Costley, you give uh, presentations about Buffalo soldiers in schools, churches, youth centers, veterans' retirement homes, uh, etc., I'm curious if you can tell us what kind of response or or questions do you get from youth, from young people, about the Buffalo Soldiers? Uh, we we get every kind of question that that you could think about, sir. Uh, from uh, I try to be uh, bring into those presentations, especially with the youth, artifacts from the from the eighteen. Uh, from the 1800s, we're bringing in. Of course, we can no longer take the the uh, replicas of of weapons into the schools, but uh, uh, at other presentations, we will bring those weapons that were used. But we'll bring in uh, uh, statues of buffaloes, and we'll bring in paintings, and we'll bring in all the other things they use for their horses and stuff during during those presentations, so the youth can touch and get an understanding of of uh, uh, what it was like to to live during those times, and luckily now uh, we are able to get so many stories in comic book form, and that really draws their attention. But more than anything else, to get their attention is if we just roll up there on our motorcycles, we have their attention. 
we have their attention right away. And then just to have them understand the transition that the Buffalo Soldiers made from horses to what we ride today at motorcycles to tell the same story. Uh, they come up with some very interesting questions, and, and depending on what age group is, uh, but we do not turn down any invitations. I don't care if it's kidney garden. We will develop our presentation to meet uh, the understanding of, of that level. Well, I, um, I think we just have a couple minutes left. And if there's anything else that you feel on your heart that you would like to convey to our listening audience, now is the time to do that, Mr. Costley. Thank you so much. I would just like to let people know how important diversity is in, 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 uh, in our country today. Uh, we need to learn as much as we can about everyone that makes up this beautiful quilt work that we call uh, America. Uh, people probably don't know that there are still black Indians, black Native Americans, specifically the black Seminoles that live in Texas. Their chief is a friend of mine. His name is William Dub Warrior, Chief Warrior. Uh, to have them tell their story, to have them take you to the forts where they used to be in Texas and to see what actually occurred and then to have them invite you into their homes and to let you know how they were mistreated by the Buffalo Soldier as well as the Army in general, how they worked and were scouts for this country and never received anything at all except empty promises. There's a lot that we need to learn about each other. And if you would allow me, I would do as much as I can to come into your community to bring you as much of that knowledge as possible. I will speak with you. I will give you a call. I would love to have you come. Thank you so much. And thank you. Okay, we would like to thank Mr. Thomas T.C. Costley for joining us to shed light on his fascinating work and for sharing that fascinating story with us as well and maintaining the legacy of Buffalo Soldiers. What follows is an oath he created to signify his admiration for Buffalo Soldiers. I am a Buffalo Soldier, and as a Buffalo Soldier, I will uphold the standards and the traditions set forth by my chapter and the National Association of Buffalo Soldiers and Troopers Motorcycle Clubs. I am proud of my colors and the rich history that they represent. I will wear my colors with pride and will do all within my power to educate the general public about the rich history of the 9th and 10th Cavalry Buffalo Soldiers. I respect my colors and my Buffalo Soldier sisters and brothers. And when my riding days come to an end, I wish to be remembered as one who served with dignity as a responsible biker and a proud Buffalo Soldier. In honor of Veterans Day, the following is a Bring It On archival broadcast, which originally aired on November 2nd, 2015. Please enjoy what follows. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at WFHB.org. 
You just heard Black Soldier by Bob Marley. Buffalo Soldier is a reggae song from Marley's final recording sessions in 1980. It did not appear on record until the 1983 posthumous release of Confrontation, when it became one of Marley's best-known songs. The title and lyrics refer to black U.S. cavalry regiments known as Buffalo Soldiers that fought in the Indian Wars after 1866. Marley likened their fight to a fight for survival and recast it as a symbol of black resistance. This song is dedicated to tonight's Bring It On guest, Mr. Thomas T.C. Costley. This is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? You're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to tweeter.com and search for WFHB News. Or you can always visit the WFHB News website at wfhb.org slash news. In honor of Veterans Day, the following is a Bring It On archival broadcast, which originally aired on November 2nd, 2015. Please enjoy. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the African-American community. For Bring It On, I'm Liz Mitchell. I'm William Hosea. Liz, you want to go first? Okay. Tens of thousands sign a petition to get rid of Don Lemon. They want to get him fired. A petition calling for CNN anchor Don Lemon to be fired had already garnered 30,000 signatures on Friday. The petition began to circulate not long after Lemon came under fire for suggesting that there was not enough information about school resource officer Ben Fields to determine whether or not he had used excessive force against a teenage student, despite the fact that the video of the incident exists and shows Fields flipping over a desk and dragging the student across the floor. We the people want a journalist and an anchor that will not be afraid to accept the facts that are occurring within the African-American community and who will encourage our people the same way that person will encourage others across the board, explains the change.org petition. We the people have no confidence in Mr. Lemon's ability to do that. Therefore, we are asking CNN to remove him from his position. The petition has surprised few of Lemon's co-workers who are at this point used to the controversy surrounding him. Don Lemon is in trouble again? What else is new, a CNN producer said. The more he says outrageous things, the more people tune in. Most people here are not surprised at anything that comes out of his mouth anymore. What you know, you e- even though I, I, I don't agree with Don Lemon, I think it's a little bit over the top to call for him to be fired just, just for just for making that suggestion yeah um the griot shares that on friday hillary clinton was speaking at a historically black university in atlanta when she was interrupted by black lives matter protesters 
She was only a few minutes into her speech when protesters began chanting Black Lives Matter. Yes, they do. And I'm going to talk a lot about that in a minute, she said. She then continued to try to speak over the protesters, saying, I have some issues to discuss and proposals to make if our friends will allow me to do it. They may actually find them to their liking. The protesters continued with some chanting, let her speak to try to drown them out. It was not until Representative John Lewis, a civil rights icon, stepped in and spoke with the protesters that they quieted down. After the interruption, Clinton continued her speech, which was about criminal justice reform and race. The Black Lives Matter group said they had protested the event to try to force Clinton to directly address racial issues. Unfortunately, rhetoric does not save us, nor does it give us confidence to black voters that we can trust Hillary to prioritize the necessity of ensuring our safety, the group said. Well, there's no need in being rude either. You, you know, I was just on Facebook a few days ago uh, expressing my respect for Black Lives Matter and how they managed to get the attention of prominent politicians. Yes. However, however, you, you, you cannot... Uh, once you start protesting, if you don't allow them to speak, how are you going to know if if you're able to convince them to accept your your views? You know, absolutely. And and uh, Hillary Clinton so far and Bernie Sanders both have expressed support for Black Lives Matter openly in in their campaign speeches. So I don't understand what what the tactic is at this point. And it it, it just doesn't hurt to use common courtesy, be polite, and just to listen. Because something what she might have said, or even the other candidates, might be what you were wanting to hear. But right, you're not exactly. going to hear it if you're interrupted and being rude. And on that note, why aren't they protesting at Donald Trump campaign uh, events or Ted Cruz or yeah, somebody like that? Yeah, because they really talk crazy. Yeah, but anyway. All right. <laughs> Plattsburgh College newspaper prints racist illustration. And then, of course, they apologize after they get the backlash. The State University of New York at Plattsburgh has apologized for printing a racist illustration alongside an article about diversity in their college newspaper. The Daily Beast reports the illustration ran in Cardinal Points, a student-operated publication. The article titled, Minority Admission Rates Examined focuses on the growth of diversity at the school and others across the nation. The article was well received by readers, but not so of the image of a black student with bulging eyes and exaggerated white teeth, wearing a cap and gown while walking through a ravaged town complete with broken stop signs, damaged cars, and broken windows. After students question why the black student was depicted a more positive light, like reading a book on campus, the staff issued an apology on their website, acknowledging that the illustration is a disconnect from the story and not meant to offend anyone. Okay. Moving right along. Yes. <laughs> Bill Barrow of the Associated Press writes that Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Rodham Clinton is using a Southern campaign swing to outline criminal justice proposals she says would treat black Americans more fairly. The trip to Georgia and South Carolina comes as Clinton works to solidify her advantage in the African-American community over Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. 
Both candidates have called for ending mass incarceration in the United States, an issue that resonates strongly among black voters who will play a key role in choosing a nominee. In Atlanta on Friday, Clinton will call for eliminating sentencing disparities between crack cocaine crimes and those that involve powder cocaine. Clinton proposes making the change retroactive, according to her campaign. The changes would build on a 2010 act of Congress that narrowed the disparity between crack crimes, which are concentrated among minorities, and powder crimes, which are more likely to involve whites. The former Secretary of State will also propose a legal ban on racial profiling by police. The policy would forbid federal, state, and local officers from relying on a person's race when conducting routine or spontaneous investigatory activities unless they have information linking a suspect to a crime. Hmm. Interesting. Something that Black Lives Matter has been calling for, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, William, an Oregon man, allegedly told that he had to prepay for a meal because he's black. Last December, an Oregon man claims he was told to prepay for his breakfast at an Elmer's restaurant chain. The man, a realtor named Brian Eason, is now suing the restaurant for 100000 due to the feelings of racial stigmatization, saying he was horribly offended by the experience. You'd like to think that that type of brazen racism is fully buried in the past, but it's not. That's his lawyer saying that. Eason said that even the waitress recognized the discrimination inherent in the situation. When she asked him to pay up front, Eason asked why. Why was he required to do that? And the waitress responded that she had been told by the restaurant's owner that she she had to ask him for the money up front. I think it's discrimination and my boss is here and she's forcing me to have to do this, the waitress said, according to Eason. While he paid the money up front, according to the lawsuit, he continues to suffer and he will in the future suffer from feelings of racial discrimination. The owners of the chain has since come out to say that it acknowledges not only that Eason required to prepay, but also that a white couple was not. However, it was said that the confusion came because lounge guests were required to prepay after several people left without paying, but that the policy, uh, it was confusing to everybody, and that the waitress thought people only had to prepay if they bought alcohol with their meal. It's, that is confusing. <laughs> the whole story is. He continues to suffer. Okay. Seems like a stretch. Yeah, but the $100,000, that'd take care of the suffering. Yeah. <clears throat> the National NAACP commends and supports the dedicated young men and women at Ole Miss who voted to remove the Confederate flag from campus this week. The actions this week by the Student Senate and the campus chapter of the NAACP show how people can unite locally to create positive change in even the most traditional and conservative institutions. When faced with counter-rallies and racial slurs from the KKK and other hate groups, this coalition of students stood their ground. The resolution passed Tuesday night marks a clear recognition by a new generation that symbols based on preserving segregation and oppression have no place in public colleges. 
We hope the administration will recognize the desire of the student body and take down the flag as soon as possible and that Mississippi legislators will once again consider redesigning the state banner. Eliminating the symbols of racial hatred is a first step to tackling the real problems these attitudes have created over the past 150 years. Yep, take that flag down. You go ahead. Finish out, please. Actually, that was the last one. Okay. And that was a look at African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Please send your comments to bring it on at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Liz Mitchell. Welcome to Dark Past, Bright Future. Lessons in African-American history that you won't read about in any textbook. Telling the stories of the struggle of those who came before us to build a better path to a brighter future for all of us. Being born on a plantation as an enslaved person to parents who are also enslaved and grandparents who were slaves then your only knowledge of the world is that of enslavement. So when you are emancipated, what do you do? Would you stay with your former masters or would you leave? Alfred Jackson decided to stay in the home and with the family who had once enslaved him. The Jacksons of Nashville, Tennessee. This is President Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson purchased his first enslaved African-American in 1794. By 1804, he owned nine slaves. 25 years later, that number increased to over 100 slaves due to purchases and reproduction. One of Andrew Jackson's slaves was Betty. Betty had a son. He was named Alfred. Alfred was trained to take care of the horses and maintain the wagons and farm equipment. Eventually, he became President J Jackson's male servant and personal slave. After emancipation, he became a tenant farmer on the Hermitage Plantation. He was also the handyman and tour guide for the main house and grounds when it opened as a museum. Alfred lived at the Hermitage Plantation longer than any other person, white or black. Upon his death in 1901, his funeral was held in the center hall of the mansion. Alfred had requested that he be buried next to Andrew and Rachel Jackson's tomb. His wish was granted. Alfred was once asked, How do you feel about working for an important man in our nation's history? At this, Alfred looked up and said, How would you like to be a slave? This concludes this edition of Dark Past, Bright Future. You've been listening to Dark Paths, Bright Future, exploring the many different shades of African-American history because the true history of our people is more complex than black and white. 
In the words of the Negro National Hymn, sing a song full of the hope that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. You just heard another episode of Dark Past, Bright Future, a regular segment on this broadcast sharing insights of black America that you won't hear on the majority of radio broadcasts. Dark Past, Bright Future is produced by none other than my co-anchor tonight, Mrs. Liz Mitchell. In honor of Veterans Day, the following is a Bring It On archival broadcast originally aired on November 2nd, 2015. Please enjoy what follows. It's time now to bring you the events of the interest in the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Liz Mitchell. I'm William Hosea. And first up, Election Day, November 3rd, 2015. Municipal Election Day is November 3rd, 2015. Here are some resources to help you get out and vote. You have the right to vote in Indiana if you meet all of the following criteria. If you are a U.S. citizen and an Indiana resident, you are 18 years old or will be by the date of the election. You are not currently in prison after having been convicted of a crime. You have lived in the precinct where you vote for at least 30 days prior to the election. Have you registered to vote? Find out who's on your ballot at www.indianavoters.in.gov. You can generate a list of candidates. Learn about the candidates. The Herald Times election coverage, which usually includes a short survey called the Keys to the Candidates, given to all the candidates by the Bloomington and Monroe County League of Women Voters. Find out where to go. Call the Monroe County Clerk's Office at 812-349-2600. The state of Indiana has no laws requiring employers to grant time off for voting, but check your employee handbook for your own employer's policy. What to bring with you. In Indiana, you must bring a photo ID that was issued by Indiana or the federal government, a state ID, driver's license, U.S. passport, U.S. military ID, or a student ID with an expiration date from a state, school, or good examples. So your campus access card should be acceptable. Read more at Indiana Election Division. Vote. Polling places will be open for voting between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Tuesday. Again, vote. Polling places will be open for voting between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Tuesday, tomorrow, November 3rd, Election Day. Commission on the Status of Children and Youth Seeks Nominees for Award. The City of Bloomington Commission on the Status of Children and Youth is seeking nominees for the Commission's 2015 SWAGGER Students Who Act Generously Grow and Earn Respect Award. This award is open to all students who live or attend school within the geographical boundaries of the Monroe County Community School Corporation. The Commission on the Status of Children and Youth created this award to honor youth 
who show commitment to certain causes or display actions that have improved their lives and or the lives of others around them. Students may be recognized for volunteer service to a nonprofit organization, assisting a friend or neighbor in need, working and also attending school, mentoring a younger sibling, exemplifying a positive attitude among peers or showing respect for others. Awards will be presented according to grade levels K3, 4 through 6, 7 through 8, and 9 through 12. The nomination forms for Swagger Award are available online at the City of Bloomington Commission on the Status of Children and Youth's website, bloomington.in.gov forward slash CSCY from October 20th to November the 17th. For additional information, contact City of Bloomington Commission on the Status of Children and Youth Liaison, Nancy Woolery, at 812-349-3851 or by email at wooleryn at bloomington.in.gov. Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Upsilon Kappa Zeta Dollars for Scholars. Zeta Phi Beta Sorority, Inc., Bloomington graduated Zeta Chapter Dollars for Scholars Chapter provides scholarships to African-American or Latino-American high school seniors in Bloomington, Columbus, and Ellisville, Indiana, who demonstrate financial need and scholarly uh, destination. Students can apply October the 15th through March 1st, 2016. For more information, visit this website, www.ZetaPhiBetaBloomington at dollarsforscholars.org. Do you have a service project for King Holiday, January 18th, 2016? Get it funded. Deadline is 5 p.m. Monday, November the 9th, 2015. Project funding and uh, money available. This is the only time of year when volunteer service project funding is available. So please don't miss this opportunity. The project requirements, the volunteer network wants you to plan a volunteer project that gets necessary things done in the community, address education, public safety, environmental or other human needs through direct service and citizen action and strengthen the community through engaging in service reflects the life and teaching of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Demonstrate Dr. King's uh, proposition that everybody can be great because everyone can serve. And that concludes today's rebroadcast of the show from November 2nd, 2015. Bring It On's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Today's rebroadcast was hosted by William Hosea and Liz Mitchell. The news director was... The news editor was Michael Nolan, and the board engineer back then was Chris Martin. The original theme music was produced by Jamel Afron and created by him as well. Today's announcer is me, Chantal Lafontante, and I'm also the board engineer. For, day, for, today, for today's edition of Bring It On, I hope you enjoy. See you next week.